In Xanadu did Kubla Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree, where Alf, the sacred river, ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. This bit of verse, the opening lines to Kubla Khan, a poem by English romantic poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, reportedly came to him in an opium-induced slumber. Indeed, to read the poem is to experience a vision of sorts, to journey back to the glory days of the famed Mongol Empire. The titular character is, of course, a reference to Kublai Khan, the fifth emperor of the Mongol Empire and a grandson of its founder and first monarch, Genghis. Though written nearly 700 years after Kublai's death as well as the fall of his dominion, the poem reveals the lasting hold this mighty empire continues to have over the public imagination. The largest contiguous land sovereignty in history, it stretched, at its height, from the Korean peninsula in the east to the Carpathian mountains of Romania in the west, as far north as the steppes of Russia and as far south as India, covering any and all land in between. But perhaps most remarkable of all, it achieved substantial growth in less than a century, a feat that would put both the Roman and British empires to shame. But its downfall came just as quickly, and, a little over 150 years after its foundation, it was gone. When and how was the empire founded? What factors contributed to its rise and exponential growth? And what ultimately led to its demise? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. About 34 miles, 54 kilometers east of the Mongolian capital of Ulaanbaatar, stands an immense statue, the only hint that a great empire once thrived there. Fashioned entirely out of stainless steel by sculptor D. Erdembileg and architect J. Enkjargal in 2008, it's the likeness of the man who founded said empire way back in 1206, Genghis Khan. Rising 130 feet, 40 meters above the windswept steppes, it watches over the land, a proud testament to the hardy and robust people who rose from the relative obscurity of history to unite East and West into a single conglomeration. There were a couple different factors that played into the formation of the Mongol Empire. One of them was unification. In the late 12th and early 13th centuries, a number of nomadic tribes, most of which had existed in Mongolia and northern China for centuries and had often warred with each other, were unified under the leadership of Genghis Khan. His people having recently been defeated by both the Jin Dynasty Chinese and the Tatars, a Khan League, or tribal confederation within Mongolia, in the mid-12th century, Genghis, who had risen to prominence by 1200, was filled with a sense of vigor and determination and began casting his glance outward towards the lands surrounding his domain. As he and his constituents prepared for invasion, the usually dry, parched steppes of Mongolia were enjoying mild, wet conditions for the first time in over a thousand years. Historians believe that this may have been another factor in helping along the foundation of the Mongol Empire, as it resulted in an increase in horse and livestock populations, which, in turn, aided the Mongols in building up their military might. The groundwork for the empire had been laid. History remembers Genghis Khan as a cruel, ruthless invader, which in many ways is correct, but he was also known for his fairness over both his own people and his conquered subjects. He created quite a stir when, for example, in the early days of his rule, he defeated the Merkits, Naimans, and Tatars, all neighboring tribes, and split their spoils equally amongst his warriors and their families instead of distributing them amongst the Mongol aristocracy. Not only that, but he also rewarded those who were loyal to him by placing them in positions of power within his army. This enraged the nobles, who were quick to call him, quote, an insolent usurper, unquote, and cost him some of his generals and other military associates. When they attempted to revolt against him in the early 13th century, he and his loyal subjects put them down and successfully crowned him as the first Kagan, or emperor, of what they referred to as the Yeke Mongol Ulus, Great Mongol State, in 1206. With his new title and his army built up and at the ready, they set out to conquer the world. 
Expansion of the Mongol Empire began under Genghis Khan's rule. His first order of business was to push into China, retaliating against the Jin Dynasty Chinese who had defeated the Mongols half a century prior. After gaining control of Manchuria and northeast China from them, he turned west, conquering parts of Ukraine, southern Russia, and whole countries within Central Asia, including Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. By his death in 1227, he had gained control of much of northern Asia, his dominion extending from the Pacific Ocean to the Caspian Sea. But his passing did nothing to stop the empire's growth. The role of Kagan thus fell onto his son, Ugade, who in a less than 20-year period built upon his father's conquests and helped bestow the title of largest contiguous land empire in history to the Mongols. By the time Ugade, Genghis's third son and the late emperor's heir, was crowned, the empire his father had built exceeded the size of the Roman Empire at its height. Ugade immediately set to work, first setting his sights on the steppes surrounding the Caspian Sea and Volga River regions of western Russia. The Bulgars and the Bashkirs, two semi-nomadic ethnic groups who called the area home, soon fell to Mongol forces under the leadership of Batu Khan, a grandson of Genghis, after intense bouts of fighting. After the success of that campaign, Ugade turned eastward, where he personally led his armies to subject the Jin Dynasty Chinese once more at Kaifeng, their capital. The Jin Emperor, Wanyan Shoshu, was captured with the help of the Song Dynasty Chinese of southern China in the nearby town of Kaizhou. He quickly surrendered. Now much of eastern China was under Mongol control. At the same time, an army under the leadership of Mongol general Churma Khan was laying waste to the Khwarizmian Empire in what's now Iran and the western Stan countries. The tiny kingdoms in and around Iran, seeing the decimation of the Mongol forces, voluntarily surrendered, themselves becoming subjects of the rapidly increasing empire. It appeared that no place was safe from the clutches of Ugade Khan. Before we continue following the unprecedented expansion of the Mongol Empire, perhaps now would be as good a time as any to raise the question, just how was it that both Genghis and Ugade Khan were able to obtain so much land and conquer so many people within the span of 35 years? Tenacity and vision, for sure, but such attributes alone don't ensure victory over a place or group of people. Simply put, the Mongols were skilled warriors and boasted military strength and organization the like of which no one had ever seen before. The number of soldiers in the Mongol army continues to be debated by historians, but it's generally agreed that the number was somewhere over a hundred thousand strong. Organization was based upon their decimal system, and was built up from groups of ten and four different units. Arbans, comprised of ten men, Zuns, a hundred men, Mingans, a thousand, and the largest, Tumans, ten thousand. Despite its size, the use of couriers allowed officers, and therefore soldiers, to maintain constant contact with one another. Troops were skilled in many areas, particularly archery and the lance, and they also incorporated the fighting techniques and skills of the lands and people they conquered. For example, Chinese troops in the Mongol army brought with them their engineering expertise, allowing them to build catapults and other large-scale weapons of war on the spot with available resources. Mongol soldiers also wore lighter armor in comparison to other warriors of the time, which allowed them to move about more easily and quickly on both foot and horseback. Maneuverability was key, and the trained soldier could leap from a wounded horse to a fresh mount in a matter of seconds to continue a prolonged attack. They could withstand harsh conditions, such as cold winters, and would often follow frozen-over rivers to the towns and cities further up their banks. Planning, reconnaissance, and the obtaining of sensitive information in reference to their enemies were the causes for their high success rate in military campaigns. They truly were a force to be reckoned with. The passing of Ugade Khan in 1241 marked a turning point in the development of the Mongol Empire. Upon his death, Genghis Khan's descendants fought amongst themselves in a series of power struggles in an effort to take the throne and gain control of the empire. Guyuk, Ugade's successor, for example, had to contend with his great-uncle, in a sort of Lion King scenario, in order to secure his rightful place as heir. 
Just two years later, however, Guyuk died, presumably by poisoning, while leading his troops to southwest China. He was followed by Munke, who brought about a great deal of prosperity to the empire, thus ushering in a sort of golden age for its people. Though one of the biggest and bloodiest sieges in Mongol history took place under his rule, the siege of Baghdad in 1258, in which the present-day capital of Iraq fell to his forces, he was known for his religious tolerance, even going as far as to build Buddhist temples, mosques, and churches in the Mongol capital of Karakorum. But the fight for power continued after Munke's passing in 1259. What ensued was a civil war of biblical proportions, in which brother literally fought brother, cousin fought cousin, and laid waste to one another in a series of skirmishes that would create the rift that would ultimately drive the empire to crumble. Six years of violent conflict led to the rise of Kublai Khan in 1264, the fifth and last emperor of the Mongol Empire proper. The most famous monarch after Genghis, in part because of the aforementioned titular poem by Coleridge, Kublai's greatest achievement was uniting all of China under what would become the Yuan Dynasty, the first and only dynasty ruled by a foreign invader. Though the legacy he built in China would surpass his death in 1294, his passing marked the end of the Mongol Empire as a whole, which was then divvied up into competing factions, or khanates, the last of which finally fell in the 19th century. Today, anybody on earth with the surname Khan can trace their lineage back to the great Mongol leaders and their relations. If history has taught us anything about the Mongol Empire, it's that its tragic flaw came at the hands of those who built it and made it great. Infighting, particularly within the imperial family, is ultimately what compromised Genghis Khan's original vision of a vast and mighty empire, one that would unite East and West as no other ruler or people had before. It truly is a testament to the fortitude and strength of these formerly nomadic tribesmen that their influence and hold on the world they shaped lasted, in all its facets, for nearly 700 years. It's no wonder that they continue to inspire and capture the imagination, and will undoubtedly continue to do so for generations to come. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time. Music